Are you thinking about what's going on in the world, wondering where you're at, and thinking about the shifts you have to make? Today, we're going to talk about the shift to the positive in your personal and professional life. We have Dr. Lori baker Shannon with us. She's going to deliver some practical leadership advice, and it's going to be a fun and entertaining way. We want you to laugh. We want you to think. But most of all, we want you to come away with new strategies for moving forward in your career. So with that, I'm Tim Kubiak. I'm your host of Bowties in Business. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And as always, you can find us on our socials, Bowties in Business on Facebook and Instagram, and Bowties in Biz on Twitter. And as for me, you can find me at Tim Kubiak just about everywhere: Twitter, LinkedIn, the website, etc. So at the end of this, and we'll have the website in the show notes. You can go to lauriebakershenna.com/contact if you have questions about positivity and leadership. If you want to explore one-on-one leadership or her life coaching, or even need a guest speaker for your next professional event. So Dr. Lori, thank you for being here. Tim, how are you? It's so good to see you. And it's so good to be here. And I want to say a special shout out to your audience. Hello, everybody who's listening. So appreciate you and so appreciate your interest in these really important times and business topics. Thank you for being here. Um, You know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because I've obviously done a bit of reading. This is really the third phase of your career, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. I'm I'm old enough to have three phases. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you started but, when you were two. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that you can't have one career your whole life, especially if you're blessed to have a really long life. So I have marked my um, my life in basically three phases. And the first phase was starting as a marketing and public relations consultant with my own business for healthcare um, concerns. So hospitals and doctors, and actually I'm still running that weirdly enough. I still have some clients, but um, so it's been 33 years since I started that company. So I really feel uh, great in the entrepreneurial space and I learned a lot about medicine. And then uh, when I was 30, I got a call from my former university, Cal State Northridge, and they needed an emergency hire to teach a news writing class. I was a journalism graduate. I'm, I'm a writer by trade. And um, Tim, I'd never taught anything. I'd never taught a class, but they needed someone to do it. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot, which is kind of scary when you think of college professors that they really do not need any kind of credential to be a college professor. So when you have, you know, the, the really good professors and not so good, you know, there, there's never been any training in how to do that. So anyway, I said, I'll give it a shot because that's who I am. I'll give it anything a shot that I can you know, physically do, as opposed to like flying a plane, but I'll give it a shot. So I actually had my first class and I was so nervous, Tim, I was so nervous that first day that I had to sit down to take role. I was just crazy nervous, but long story short, they liked me and I ended up being a part-time professor for uh, several years. And then I became a full-time university professor as well. And then um, my third career was when I was 55, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was, it was a cancer that you can treat, but you know, there's, you kind of have a time limit on it. And so I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to be a motivational speaker and a leadership coach. And I thought, this is a great time to do that. So when my third career then is, you know, being a professional speaker and a leadership coach, and I was able to get my doctorate in organizational leadership. So that really helps me work with business people and leaders on how to run your business effectively, but also that motivational spin, how to be happy while you're running your business. My MBA is kind of the business arm of that. And my doctorate in organizational leadership is teamwork and how to have fun, you know, when you're working and find your passion. 
So all that together, here I am. And, uh, and I still dabble in everything, I, you know, but I really, really am very happy where I am right now. That's amazing. And, and I love, you know, I love stories and people who have continued to evolve and change and their education is certainly part of that because I think they're the most interesting people. And thank I'm, you. Yeah. Education is crucial too. It doesn't have to be formal either, but absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just gives perspective, right? And that's the other thing that I think I appreciate more as I've aged is the more things I've done, the more diverse things I've done, the better perspective I have. And frankly, the better I am for everybody else for it. Absolutely. And which is why I really love speaking to young people, because if they can skip some of the stuff that I had to learn, if they can really absorb it, they can be way by the time there are, you know, my age, they can be way ahead of the pack and kind of let go of a lot of the crap they don't need and learn and focus on things they do need. And if someone had told me this 20 years ago, I certainly would be even, you know, farther ahead than I am now. But you know, that's why young people don't need, you know, a crisis or anything. They, they can be good learners and, and understand all this. They can capture a lot. They can. So I, I want to, you didn't talk about your leadership program. Can you talk about that in a little bit? Absolutely. So one of the things that I did as an offshoot of my speaking is that I've noticed that women in the business space have lots of um, challenges being leaders. We are promoted based on the content, like we're good at finance or we're good nurses or we're good at something. So let's promote you into a supervisorial job. And then you don't get the training to be a supervisor. And so you, you get a place at the table, but you don't know, learn how to stay at the table. And a lot of people flame out and get very frustrated and miserable. And that's because they're not taught leadership skills. So I started a company, especially for women, to help them learn the leadership skills they need to be leaders in their fields. And I'm talking, Tim, I'm talking conflict management, how to run an effective team, how to communicate up and communicate down. These things are never really taught like in a business setting. And it's so frustrating to see people so miserable and your employees are miserable because the supervisor doesn't have the skills and the supervisor is miserable because they don't know how to motivate their employees or not to be a micromanager or they haven't found themselves. So we started Leadership Consortium to do that. And we go into companies and, and help women specifically kind of let go of a lot of that guilt and all that stuff that a lot of layers of, I have to say it, women have, you know, about self-doubt and really step up to the plate and become the lead hers that they need to be. And we usually have an annual conference, but we had to cancel this year because of COVID. So we're probably going to get it back up and running. I like it in person, which is why we decided not to have a virtual one, because that in-person thing is what really makes it special. There's connections you get in person that no matter how good Zoom or your platform of choice is, Right, you'll never get that same level, yeah, virtually. Exactly, and so, and there's a lot you can gain virtually. I've been speaking virtually all year, but I'll tell you when it comes to our conferences, it's really very a network and a lot of hugs and a lot of support. And uh, it just can't do that on Zoom. You can try, but- You can try, you can try. Yeah, polls have gotten better. They're still not quite to a hug. That's right. <laughs> everybody wants, Tim, you're so funny. Everybody wants to do a poll. Like I'm doing, a, I do a lot of presentations um, on Zoom and they're all very positive and energetic. Should we do a poll? Well, doing a poll online, it sounds like you're engaging the audience, but you're just taking them away from your message. And 
usually they're irrelevant to what you're talking about. So it's just not the same thing. I can see why some of it would be good, but especially if you're doing a workshop type of, uh, of presentation, but a keynote speech or and that kind of speech, those polls just crack me up. Yeah, no, yeah. And then then my favorite sub shoot off of that is let's gamify the presentation. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You are so right. And there's a time and a place for games, Tim. There really is. Some, some of my presentations, not so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. You know, I work with hardcore sales numbers. So, you know, if you're laughing, it's because you don't want to cry in my case. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so in the opening, we teased that we're going to talk about positing to the pivot or pivoting to the positive in personal and professional lives. There's an old saying, it's lonely at the top. Is that something you agree with for leaders? Absolutely. It's super lonely at the top because uh, at that point, you have to really uh, be able to chart your own course and do the things and, you, and, and your relationships with your, your employees change. And also the people who you report to, if you're reporting to a board of directors or that sort of thing, everything continues to change. So I'm of a firm belief that you have to pivot to the positive. And it's never been more important than this past year. And it sounds so trite and people are saying it, but it's really true, Tim, because if you cannot at all be a negative person and be a leader, you cannot be negative and be a good salesperson. You cannot be negative and lead any kind of company. You cannot be a good friend, a good family member and be negative because negative, negativity never pushes you forward. So then the question becomes, okay, how do you be positive? And weirdly enough, I've created some steps on how to be positive because you can be positive even in the face of, of, of a illness that's challenging or things that are tough. There's always a positive nugget because going to the negative again will never get you anywhere. And you, you know, you ask any, any business person, any salesperson, they'll tell you that. So one of the things I think just general perception, and we'll take it out of the leader suite for a minute and just to the general employee, right? Mm -hmm. The majority of the folks out there, leaders have to deliver tough messages. It's not always you know, rainbows and unicorns, as my friend Carol says, um, right? Sometimes you have to do and say hard things. How can a leader do that in a way that's not perceived as negative? That is such a great question. And it's so important. First of all, you, you, can't, you can't be in a void, a vacuum void. You hopefully have a company that has a culture of excellence and positivity. So when you have negative news, you can put it in the light of the lens of your company culture and the positivity. So that's really important to, and that's just a real you know, foundation that you lay. But whenever you're delivering bad, bad news, you have to say the why. Like, if, why is this happening? How, what do I need from you? And how can this positively impact you? So those three things are crucial when you deliver bad news. You can't deliver bad news in a vacuum and just let it go. You have to say why this is happening, what, we're, what we are as a company are doing to, to have a solution, and how this solution can benefit you, even though it's gonna be difficult right now, what we see as your pathway in the future. 
So that hope thing, that, that explanation of the why, these are the three things that can keep you positive. Because if you can, Tim, if you say like, we have to, you know, cut, cut your, uh, you know, you have to work extra hours or whatever, or cut your pay or whatever. And it, it sucks. And we're, we're sorry that negative, you know, just, it sucks. It's not going to be helpful to get your employees on board. But if you have to say, you know, we have to, like a lot of my, um, a lot of my uh, friends who are in the corporate world had their pay cut 10% at COVID. They just did like, like there was no rhyme or reason. Let's just do it. Right. But the way you, you, know, you say we're in a difficult situation right now, and we're going to have to pull back on bonuses and pull back on salary. But we are hoping that these steps will allow us to move forward, keep our company viable, keep our customers happy. And eventually we'll get through this tunnel of darkness and into a place of light. And when you present it that way, it's much easier than saying, you know, sorry. So one of the things that I personally think is leaders are being taxed in new ways, right? Especially at the very top. So people who might have been strong operational leaders have to be a little bit more communicative and, and in a way visionary. Now, not completely disruptive, woo, I reinvented the wheel visionary, but they have to paint a more solid picture. Is that something you've seen leaders challenged with, even coming from different dynamics? Absolutely. That is such a great point because the soft skills that many leaders have never needed, they're really good at ops or op operations, they're really good at finance. This, in this day and age, the need for softer, more communicative skills is crucial, especially, Tim, when you have a workforce working from home, which is a whole nother layer. So. So to communicate, you have to motivate you. Our leaders of today have to be motivators and they have to be communicators because you cannot send your workforce out into the, the, your homes and expect them to understand the company culture or where you're heading or why they're there. So leaders now have to step up and become, become more transparent, better communicators and more of a coach dynamic than they've ever had before, even if that is out of their comfort zone, because otherwise you're going to get a workforce that's not motivated and confused because they don't understand direction and there's not enough communication coming from them to understand where they're going. So it's, even though we, you know, it's so funny to me, we, we have so many different ways to communicate now, you know, you know, before we just had, you know, horse and carriage type of thing. Now we yeah. have all sorts of things. Yet our communication from our leaders is, is there's not enough of it. And we, we need more and we need it to be meaningful and motivating those two things. Do you feel that there's so many mediums of communication, messenger, email, stand-ups, town halls, Zooms, you know, that sometimes the message is watered down because it's just being spread too many places? Absolutely. So you really have to have a focused, focused, uh, plan, a communications plan. But also I tell my CEOs and my CC executives, pick up the phone and, and, and make it a point to call your call somebody and check in and see and not have an agenda, just check in and see how are you doing? And, and the greatest line you can say is, what can I do to help you be more successful? And you just pick up the phone. That human touch is so crucial, especially now. And people aren't expecting it. And then if this, you know, the CEO can't get to their 100,000, you know, or employees, but they're, they're, the managers have that kind of communication, touching base and being sure that everybody 
feels like they're part of an organization, even though they're apart. But that, I think, you know, I think that personal touch, that phone call, not a text, but a phone call from a, a supervisor, a top dog is really important. Yeah. Is it important to jump levels and take yourself out of the executive suite echo chamber? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big one on, I, you know, there's, there was like 20 years ago, you know, uh, you know, leading by walking around, but it really, if you want to know what's going on in your company, you need to speak to everybody at every level and every age group that who's working for you, because the generational differences are so intense you know, from Z to millennials to X to boomers, and they're all in the workplace and they all have different needs. And if you don't recognize that, and if you push that under the rug, you're going to have a lot of interpersonal issues with conflict, and you're not going to be as productive as if you can get everybody. So how do you get everybody on the same page? And that's really an art, but it's an art that leaders must do. And they must allow people to understand why they're working for the company and the benefit the company brings to everybody, whether you're a concrete company or a, um, you know, a, a car company, whatever you're doing, you bring value to the community. How does that work? And bringing those kind of statements really can bring, you know, multi-generations together. I'm going to shift from the leaders and, and their business relationships to their personal circles, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. You, you talk about it's lonely at the top when you get there from a professional perspective, right? How do you see leaders manage their personal relationships and their social relationships as they've gone up the ladder, so to speak? Well, it's really important for leaders to really start connecting with people outside of, this sounds really weird, but outside of their company mm -hmm. to have friendships. I mean, real friendship, because it's very difficult to be super good friends with someone who's reporting to you, nor is it desirable. But if, as you move up and many people who have actually started, you know, at the lower levels and risen through the ranks, it's the most difficult for them because all of a sudden your friends, all of a sudden you're leading them. And so those are incredible, important discussions to have. And some people can keep that, you know, level where, you know, we're, you know, we're, friends at, at home, but at work were, were business associates, but it's very difficult. So to, to counter that loneliness, I really encourage CEOs to join CEO networking groups and also managers to, to join managing networking groups, but people who speak your language in different industries who are facing the same challenges. And then you can make the personal relationships from there. It's really, it's really important to maintain that, that, um, that, um, connection with people. I don't, it's hard because once you, you know, no one, no one's going to like you all the time. No one's going to be hundred percent happy with your decisions. You need to be able to move forward with your vision, take all the input that you can from all the places you can, and then make those decisions. So if you find yourself in that negative place, is it self-talk? Is it exposure? How do you move forward from that? So, so can you give me an example? Like, what are you thinking? And I'd love to give you a specific. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll use myself as an example, right? Okay. I, I openly admit that with the exception of my business partners, all of my friends are not where I am, right? Now, there's people I've stayed in touch with throughout my career. There's customers and people that have gone off into other industries that I've stayed close with. 
But all of my friends, I woke up one day and all of my friends are VPs and C-suite people because we've all been doing it long enough that the ones that have stayed in touch seem to have risen there. But to have a social interaction is actually a really strange thing because they're scattered literally all over the world. So how do you go from, you know, if these are, I used to have a circle of friends and I, I joke, I used to throw a Cinco de Toga party where I would have a toga party with a Cinco de Mayo theme at my house, right? And it got to the point where I had raised, grown up into the organization high enough, I couldn't do that anymore, right? I couldn't, and all of my friends had become scattered. So if you're in that place, how do you, outside of that networking group, actually maintain a normal kind of social life that isn't just business? So you have to, uh, I think one of the things you have to do is figure out your hobbies and interests. And I know that sounds, that sounds crazy, but it really is wonderful to get involved in um, something that's not businessy. So for example, we're um, into bluegrass music. So we, we go to different bluegrass festivals and we meet people in the bluegrass Thing. We're in Los Angeles, not too much, not too many bluegrass. I was going to ask you about that, <laughs> but 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 we go to Nashville quite a bit, and and we love going to the Ryman. So we, but but through that, you know, we have met wonderful people. We 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 travel, and when you travel, you meet people like on cruises or used to. This is all you know in the before times, but you know, you go on a cruise, you go on a you go on a trip, and you meet people with similar interests, and then you stay in touch with them. So getting. Walking, getting out of your business zone and into something that's fun, you know, or or taking a local cooking class, or 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 going to you know um, sporting events, finding people with your you know have nothing to do with your business. It's really healthy, and they don't you know a lot of my friends never ask me what I'm doing. They you know we're we're friends. We I met friends with, through the kids, and my business is like eh, the secondary to to what's going on in the world, you know. And, uh, and what our what our interests are. So that, and again, it's very intentional. Tim, which brings me to the fact that when you are thinking about, you have to be very intentional and mindful of continuing to create new networks, and being and being and those kind of friends and that kind of relationships. Because if not, you're going to be consumed with work, and you will never ever have time or the energy to get those connections. And those connections are what fuel you. So it's very mindful about how can I meet people who I really would like that would like me and have my same interests. So that's, it's, it's a mindful thing. And then your business associates, you know, uh, are your business. And then when you have your network, you can do your toka parties again, because you have nothing to do with them in terms of business. That's great. I'm and I like to go and I'll fly out. So count you're, me in. you're invited. <laughs> first person, as soon as we can, I'm out. I'm there. <laughs> You went into motivational speaking, right? So what is the key messages you like to deliver? You know, I am the queen of positivity and the queen of joy. And my tagline is every day is a gift. And you don't have to cheat death to realize how precious life is. Those of us who are in your audience who are cancer survivors, COVID survivors, any kind of things or accident survivors, they know what it's like to basically be on the edge and then come back. And so what do you do with that? And even then you have a choice every morning when you wake up, this is my main message. You have a choice when you woke up this morning, Tim, you can say, you know what, it's going to be a lousy day. Or you can say, you know what, it's going to be a great day. Even if you have five horrible meetings in front of you, 
you can decide to be to be joyful about that and be happy that you can have a meeting, that you are smart enough to be in a meeting, that you are alive to be at a meeting, and you'll actually that'll actually elevate your experience. So choosing joy is crucial. And also be sure that you understand gratitude. The, the fact that you are, that we're, I am so grateful that we're speaking to him. I'm grateful for the technology. I'm grateful that how we met. I'm grateful I can talk to your, to the people that you're, who's listening right now. I live in gratitude the whole time. And that just brings me so much joy because the opposite is not waking up. And, and the fact of the matter is I woke up. And once you just say, oh, I woke up, everything else, everything else happens. And a subset of that is you have to realize deeply what you can control and what you cannot control. Because there's so much in this world that we have absolutely no control of. This whole COVID thing, I mean, no control. Um, If my internet all of a sudden took a dump right now and we stopped talking, no control. You know, so, so what do I need to worry about and what do I not? So with COVID, I had to pivot all of my in-person speaking. I had seven gigs in April and May alone. I had to, those were canceled. I, there was no even pivoting. And then I had to figure out in those downtimes, how am I going to really become a great virtual speaker? And so I had to change my slide presentations. I had to change my energy levels, everything changed. And all of a sudden I started catching business again. So I had no control over the COVID virus. Even when I got it, I had no control over that, but I had control of how I was gonna react to it. And I'm not gonna react negatively. I'm gonna react positively. What can I do that this will work for me? And with COVID, I, you know what I did? I was at Christmas time. I was actually just took two weeks off and, and um, I, did, I just like did nothing, which is very unusual for me. And <laughs> I'm, luckily I, I feel good now, but just, I didn't see it as a detriment. It's like, okay, here it is. What am I going to do? And it's the same thing when I found out I had cancer. Okay, here it is. What can I do? So I got the best cancer care and I, I figured out what possibly I needed to do health-wise and everything. And I took control over that. I didn't have control over the fact that I got cancer, but I certainly took control once I could. So knowing those two things, to, actually three. So waking up with, in, waking up choosing joy every day, keeping in gratitude that you are just lucky to be here and we are so lucky to be here. And number three is to really figure out how to, what you can control and what you can't control and focus on what you can control. Those are the three things that I always, those, those are my, what I talk about in all of my motivational speeches. And I have to confess that even when I do my business speeches where, you know, how to work as a team, how to manage conflict, how to up your sales, I always slip in a motivational message at the end. And it's just, it's kind of my, my, my trademark. And I, I let everybody go with a real positive, positive outlook with no matter what, because that, because I, and I feel it, it's my authentic self. It's my leadership brand. It's how I, how I show up every day. And it's a very authentic because it's truly how I feel. So I'm going to drill a little bit into each of those with the next couple of questions, if that's okay. Absolutely. So let's start with control and what you can and can't control. Okay. Right. Because I think that's a big one for a lot of people. Right. Now I'll admit I'm a planner and then I get to a point where I'm a grip it and rip it kind of guy and just let it go and what happens happens and you adjust. But a lot of people get very anxious about 
knowing what's next and understanding and kind of controlling their destiny or trying to. And to your point on the internet, right? If it goes down now, great, we've rejoined. It's no big deal. How do you get people to realize that they can't control everything? And that frankly, it's not the end of the world sometimes. Well, it's really, really literally sitting down, Tim, and writing down what you have control over and what you don't. In parenting, I learned that, you know, I used to be the queen of being on time. And then I had my little boy who always managed to poop his diapers before we went anywhere. I mean, I remember this. He's 26 now. I don't even <laughs> appreciate I'm talking about this. But you all, all of a sudden you realize that when you have kids, you have no control. And then how, and as much as you want to, them to grow up to be outstanding citizens, you know, they're going to, they're going to get in trouble. You know, they're, you're going to get that call from the principal. <laughs> we started at six years old, with, you know, with my kid, but so that what you have control over and, and what you don't. And I think if you dig deeper, that control is a, is a thing about people wanting to be perfect, which is a thing about how you want to show up in the world. And also a fear that what happens if you lose control or what are people going to think of you if something bad happens? So a good example for me is when you, when I give a speech in, to a, to a, I always, I, and I always say live audience because you're live right now, Tim, but you're, we're not, you know, <laughs> so, so a, a, a in-person versus a, a virtual, but an in-person, an in-person uh, talk, you know, I can give it my all and I do give it my all. But I have learned, and then I can control. I can control how good I, I, I present, I show up, I have my slides. Sometimes my slides don't work. I mean, stuff happens, but I can control me. But I can't control the people in the audience and how they're going to react to me. Because they might be having a bad day. They might have arrived at this conference and they just had a fight with their spouse. They had a flat tire. They just had a bad um, something with their money. So they're going to show up to my conference and they're just going to hate my presentation. And I learned that early on in my career when I gave this massive talk to like 500 people about leadership branding, which is a, one, of, one of my favorite up, uplifting topics. And I got, you know, they, and they always evaluate you. I always get evaluated after these talks, which just crack me up. So you have to really let go of that too, except if they're really constructive. I've learned so much about how to improve myself from these things. But so one guy in the evaluation wrote, this is the worst presentation I've ever been to and gave me a zero. And then on the opposite end, another person wrote, this presentation changed my life. I will, I've learned so much from this. Okay. And, and Tim, this is the same presentation. So you learn that I have no control over how an audience is going to react to me. I can just have control of how I show up. So in our day, in, in our lives, we have to show up and do our best, but how people are going to react to us, we don't really have control over that. And understanding that is really gives you a sense of peace because you, you really turn inward and what I can do better, how can I improve versus how can I make someone else happy because you have no control over that. You know, perfectionism is another thing. Um, you know, everyone wants to be perfect, but I got to tell you, perfect is boring. I don't want to go out... Someday I do want to go to a bar and drink again, Tim. But if I, if, <laughs> but I don't want to go to a bar with a person to have a drink with somebody who has the perfect marriage, the perfect job, the perfect family, the perfect house, the perfect parents. 
I would just, I'd have to leave in five minutes and, and say I had a stomach ache. I want someone who has challenges, who's messy, who's learning, who's growing. Because I'll tell you, perfect people don't learn. Failure is what moves you forward. And we have to stop shaming failure. So all of these things have that whole thing with control and controlling what you can and realizing so much that you can't. And that failure is okay because we have to learn from it. So those are the things that, that really you, you go deep with people who really need, because I've worked a lot, a lot with so many people who, who want to be perfect and who are always beating themselves up and are, who are super planners, because you know what? Life's thrown stuff at you every day. You cannot live like that. You have to instead shift to, instead of worrying about it, how can I be a solution oriented person? What's the solution? And that's how planners, you can still plan. I, I, I'm a huge planner. But I also understand that things can shift in a heartbeat and what, so I want to be that person who can shift with it, who can change and who can be that solution oriented person. I got good advice early in life. I played, I started playing out in bars when I was 14 years old and somebody told me, don't worry about playing a wrong note. Just learn to play it like you meant it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. And people aren't that obsessed with you. I hate to say it. You know, no. people are like, oh, you know, they, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. So let's talk about joy. What are some yes. things that you help people do to bring joy into their lives? So, uh, I'm sorry, could you repeat that question? Yeah, what are some things that you teach that helps people bring joy into their lives? So if people need to find more joy, you know, whether they're part of the way there or none of the way there, because there's always the people that are kind of like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, right? Woe is right. me, right? What are just a couple of things that they could easily start to do that might shift their mindset, if you will. The first thing is to wake up and make a commitment to saying, I'm going to be happy today. And then I'm going to, tr I'm going to try to be happy. And I'm going to try to see the positive things in everything. And I teach them the solution shift, which is kind of my mantra. And I say to them, if you want to find joy, you're going to have to get out yourself out of your problems and work on trying to find the solution to everything. And when you find the solution to things, that's going to bring you joy because you've accomplished something and you've figured out a way to get away from your problems and work on your solutions. So for example, if you're feeling overwhelmed at work and that's bringing you down, if you can figure out some things that, you know, boundaries you need to make or some work-life balance shifts that you have to do, that is going to make you happy because and joyful normally because you have stopped feeling overwhelmed. Another thing that people do to find joy is you have to make time for joy. That means you have to make time for self-care. You have to make time for exercise. You have to make time to be with your significant other and find that time to actually have fun. And people say, I'm too busy to have fun. You well, didn't just schedule it. You know, everyone should be having a date night, even if that means going into the other room and lighting a candle and having dinner. Little things that can bring you joy, be really mindful of that. So gratitude, making the commitment to find joy, doing that solution shift thing. And finally, I think another really important thing is to really focus on your strengths. Um, I'm a firm believer on really doing well with your self-talk and realizing complimenting yourself on what you did right. And what I call this is a strengths journal 
where every day you write down the five things that really went well for you and what, who, what characteristics or skills you brought to the table that allowed that to happen. And when you start building your strengths and your self-esteem, that also will help you find joy because you've got to stop beating yourself up for the things you did wrong and start looking at the things you did right. And those conscious shifts, you know, are really important. And I'm also big on going to see a good therapist too. I'm not a psychotherapist, but that can really be a helpful too. But those shifts, those shifts in thinking, you can do them. And I'm a person, there's no excuse. When I'm, when I'm doing coaching, there's no excuse not to, not to try to find joy, not to try to find happiness. People who don't do that, I can't coach because you have to, first of all, can really want to find joy. People who, some people don't, and then that there are people not, it's not going to work for them. Do you find people when they start to do that journaling of their strengths, find strengths that they didn't recognize? Yes. Not only that, but I also encourage them to ask their peers what their strengths are. People are afraid to do that. Um, but ask, ask people in your life, your, your, your kids, your friends, your colleagues, what do I do well? And you can, you know, if you do embarrassed say that, you know, you're doing it for like, you know, a, 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 an assignment for a project or whatever, whatever it is, but ask them to, you know, and, and, if, and if you're really brave, ask them what you don't do well, because that's a, a real good 360, you know, view, but yeah. ask them what you do well, you'd be surprised, you'd be surprised what people think you do well at. It's extraordinarily eye-opening. So I, but that whole strength, how do you build yourself up? You know, how, and then where do you want to build yourself up more? You know, if you want to be a public speaker, what can I do better to, to elevate my, my speaking? Or if you want to be a better writer, or if you want to be on time more, or you want to be a better leader, you know, that learning what you have as a strength and building on that is where really where your joy is. And then I, I want to bring up gratitude again. Right. Yes, my favorite and thing. It's one of those things that I don't want to say there's gratitude deniers out there, but I think there are people that hear it and go into mindset and don't really realize the power of just basically being grateful for everyday things. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I am I I, I say I live in gratitude and I really do. I um you start by doing a gratitude journal too you know, the five things that really you're grateful for. And even if you're depressed, and even if you've had a bad day, you can still find five things to be grateful for. My go-to is flush toilets. I am so grateful that we have flush. You know, you watch all these great shows on TV, like Bridgerton, and I, which I loved and all sorts of stuff. And it all looks romantic and everything, but they didn't have flush toilets. And to me, I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> Another thing that I love is my microwave. So flush toilets and microwaves are really go-to, but you know, I am grateful for the fact, like I woke up this morning and it was kind of actually cold in LA, which is wild. And I was grateful that I had a heated home. You know, I'm always grateful that I have food on the table. I'm grateful that my kids are all doing well. There's so much even, and I've had a lot of loss in my life. My mother died when I was 12. My siblings are gone. Um, you know, I've had, incredible life's challenges. But even amongst all that, there's something to be grateful for. So once you start really appreciating what you have consciously, you know, I mean, I, I'm holding a red pen. I love my red pen. It, it was what graded kids papers for 25 years and, and gave me a great, you know, I'm grateful for that. 
So, and I'm really grateful to meet you, Tim. I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be written about tonight. Someone who's opened my eyes, who's taught me something. When you live like that, when you start focusing on what you have versus what you don't, it literally, I think, changes you. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's research on it. It really changes your brain, how your brain functions. So what haven't I asked you that I should have? What am I missing? I don't know. You're an amazing interviewer. I, I think I think you've got it all. Um, I think that uh, everything I everything I've looking at my notes and you've asked you've answered all of my questions. I think it's really important that we understand that things we are living in change. Like we are we are really like people 20, 30 years are or a hundred years from now are gonna be looking back on this period of time. And they're gonna say, well, how did people How did people survive that? But we really need to step back and give ourselves a pat on the back. Because many of us were thrown into the home environment, which is very difficult to work in if you've never done that before. Many of us have lost, have lost people who, who've had COVID, COVID themselves. We've had economic turmoil, we've had health turmoil, we've had political turmoil. And yet here we are all still standing. And I think we really need to give ourselves a pack, pat on the back and realize that there is no, there'll never be a new normal anymore. It's always gonna be the next normal. So we need to figure out how we're gonna be flexible moving forward and optimistic and figuring out how to live a full life even in times that are drastically changed. I love that. The next normal. Yeah. It's not the new normal. It's the next normal. Cause it's going to be different a year from now. Look, a year from now, I was planning my in-person conference. I was, I, I was, I was going to North Carolina to see my client. And then if you had told me Tim, that we'd be doing this on a zoom call uh, and that I'd be wearing masks, you know, everywhere. And that, um, and then people, I wouldn't have been able to see my family for six months, all this. I would never have believed you. I wouldn't have, I just thought, I thought you were out of your mind. And look at, we've, we've done it, we've lived it, and here we are. So it's really important to really, really internalize that and use it as a roadmap moving forward that we can be that flexible. So if somebody's interested in learning more, talking to you, how do they do that? What's an engagement typically look like, whether it's your coaching and leadership or your speaking business? Well, thank you. I, you can reach me through lauriebakershenna.com and there's a contact thing. I, I uh, really enjoy helping people with, with where, where they have a gap between where they are and where they're going. And I like to help them fill that gap of what, what that looks like. And I, but I also love speaking engagement. So if you have an association or a business who needs a speaker or trainer, and uh, obviously I can go anywhere in the world because it's going to be on Zoom for right now. Um, I would love that too, because I can bring business stuff, you know, like how to work in a team and conflict management, but I always sugarcoat it with those great motivational talks, which I think every employee in America needs. <laughs> yeah. Now more, now more than usual. Yes. <laughs> so last question for you, favorite books of the moment. Well, I have to tell you that um, I just finished um, cooking for Picasso, and what I do, um, and I forgot, I forgot the name of the, I forgot the name of the author, but what I try to do is read 
non-leadership books because I've got a ton of favorite leadership books, but the Cooking for Picasso is about a woman. And it is kind of like this historical fiction whose grandmother actually cooked for Picasso. And it's very kind of erotic and talks about cooking. And then it comes into present day stuff and it's just fun and it's escapism. And I'm big on using your free time for escapism. You know, I really strongly an hour either doing something escapism you know, uh, with books or with uh, Netflix, but that, I loved that book. So that's what I've been reading. That's awesome. I've not heard of that one. So that's a new one for me to check out. Yeah. I wish I had the, the author, but it's easy cooking for Picasso. Perfect. So anything else you'd like to add? I just want to thank you. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm, and I'm hoping that your audience just, t- just, you know, those of you listening out there really make a commitment to joy. Like you make a commitment to, you know, a healthy lifestyle, it's the same thing. And uh, you'll find that you can bring happiness even to the hardest days. That's great parting advice. Thank you so much for being here, Lori. My pleasure.